synergy. It's something where you take these really simple fundamentals and it creates something way bigger than, you know, the sum of its parts. Hello, and welcome to the Method Makers podcast by Method Supply. Intentional conversations with incredible humans sharing their daily method. Today, Kaipo talks with Dr. Anthony Anarino. An experienced clinician and avid stoic, Anthony explains how he practices objectivity and wisdom in his daily practices. We hope you enjoy. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Method Makers podcast. I am your host, Kaipo Satello, and I'm here with a friend and mentor that I've gotten to know in so many new ways, and he has just turned into a person I not only look up to, but I personally admire. His name is Dr. Anthony Anarino. Ant, say hi. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. I'm really humbled for the opportunity. And really selfishly, every time we have a conversation, I learn a lot about myself. So uh, if anyone else gets something out of this, that that's great. But I'm really, uh, I'm really just in it to, to gain a little understanding and get challenged by some of your questions. Something about Ant is that he challenged me from the moment I stepped through the doors at Rehab to Perform to think with perspective and think with principles. So, and um, could you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself and your background just so that everyone gets to know you a little bit better? Certainly, Kaipon. First and foremost, I really appreciate that uh, you sharing that. And I'm happy I could you know have that impact and come off like come off like that to you. So I was born and raised in Columbus, Ohio, uh, with a you know a big Italian and a big Irish family. So definitely a big family influence growing up was always around a bunch of cousins running around the backyard of my grandma and grandpa's house. Um, so grew up, you know, with that idea of tradition, that idea of a family and cohesive unit. Um, I was raised by my mom, who was a nurse, uh, spending a decent amount of time in the ER, among other places. And my dad, who is a small business owner, um, he is the owner of Tritas Pizza in Columbus, Ohio, which was actually started by my grandfather in 1959. Wow. So grew up with that medical influence and also grew up with that entrepreneurial influence, uh, seeing the you know ups and downs of all that, and then seeing that kind of family legacy carry on. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more of, of what that has meant to me. But uh, other than that, I, I grew up in you know a suburb of Columbus. I uh, grew up playing soccer, basketball, really enamored by those two sports. Um, and then ended up going off to uh, University of Dayton to uh, study exercise physiology as an undergraduate and uh, got really interested in strength and conditioning and sport performance. Um, during that time, during my internships with that, I uh, got kind of an itch to study the medical side of things, understanding more of the origin mm -hmm. of injuries and injury risk reduction, and really realized that if I didn't go back and get my education as a physical therapist and get that scope of practice, I would really have a itch that I couldn't scratch uh, moving forth in my career. So that led me to return back to the University of Dayton for uh, the doctor of physical therapy program. During that time, I was fortunate enough to do an internship out in Frederick, Maryland with a budding company, Rehab to Perform, uh, which and I'm uh, serving as a clinic director now in Bethesda. So living in uh, Washington, D.C. with my fiance, Allison, and uh, really just trying to get better every day and, and, and really embrace and enjoy the moment. And it sounds like that you've had this interest about athletics and performance ever since you were younger. Uh, was that was that something that you've always wanted to do? I, I know you mentioned that you were you're an athlete before. Could you speak a little bit to that? Yeah, I really some of my most vivid memories growing up are, are watching two things, watching the World Cup and watching the NCAA March Madness. I remember during those times just being so taken away with 
the skill levels and the commitment that it took those athletes to get to there. And I would leave watching those games just so super motivated, right? It was like watching like a Rocky montage to me. Like I'd be back in the backyard hitting it harder than I ever have after watching that. I think from an early age, I kind of was really respected what optimal performance was and really was infatuated by um, what it took to get there and how that if you work at something, you can, you know, consistently get better at it. I think one of the best examples of that is I'm, I'm a lefty and I remember like my cousin really drilling into me that you had to be strong with your, your off hand uh, dribbling a basketball. So I, I just have memories of being in my grandparents' garage, just like dribble after dribble with my right hand to like bit of, you know, shabby basketball skill I have left. I'm so stronger ball handling with my right. Oh man. So this is something that I've, I guess, noticed and it's kind of cool to see you reflect back to when you were little and, and seeing like, okay, I'm weak here. Something that I always heard you say was, what is the rate limiting factor? Can you explain to us like what that means? Certainly. It's, I, I think when you're looking at any problem, you want to figure out where the, the, the hitch points are, where the hangups are. And if you can start with that area that is slowing down the entire process, the log jam, you might be able to crack it wide open. So if it comes down to physical therapy, you know, with the situation I use most broadly with this is if you're evaluating somebody, you want to see like, what is the largest deficit we're dealing with here? What is the thing that is holding back this process? And it might be a couple things. It might be something movement related, or it might be a belief. It might be something psychological. So let's say, for instance, if, I, if I'm trying to focus solely on a movement type issue, but this person's rate limiting step is something of a belief or something that's you know more psychological, um, then we might not ever get to touch that movement deficit. If someone's too scared to put weight on their leg, we're not going to be able to retrain the movement. So identifying what that biggest piece is um, will increase the probability that you're going to be successful with your outcome. And it's also just likely going to get you there faster. Looking at that, I mean, you can translate that to any point in life, whether it be, you know, learning a skill or, you know, your finances or just setting up your day. You know, what's, what's the hitching point? Where's the point where I keep getting caught up in? So finding that and identifying that, I think the big piece of it is, is really being self-aware and being aware of the situation to break it down to like it's most uh, small objective truths. Man, is this something that you sort of learned over a lifetime or is it something that you picked up like kind of early on in the process? Because that, that right there is a very solid way of thinking and I've definitely adopted that. I really view the world differently because you gave me that thought process. And I guess, when did that start from you? I've, I've always been curious. I really think it's a big piece of it is just the mentorship I gained uh, going through my, you know, time as a athlete with my coaches, going through time as a, you know, strength conditioning intern, and then going through time as a physical therapy intern is having a number of mentors who allowed me to put on their glasses to look through the lens that they see through um, on a daily basis. And then when you start coupling that stuff and looking back at your own memories and then looking at current situations you're dealing with, you can start seeing things from a different perspective. And I think for me, it's been something that it felt kind of piecemeal for a while. And then having some mentors at the end who kind of helped put it all together and break it down to its simplest points um, helped you gain perspective. It's kind of like that concept, like you never read the same book twice. Huh. I think, you, you know, if you address similar situations, you never address it the same because you're consistently changing the way you look at things are consistently changing. So I really just owe a lot to, you know, having great mentorship and, you know, reading and finding different ways to challenge myself and challenge my perspective. In one of the books that I've been reading, 
uh, is actually in Principles by Ray Dalio, which you indirectly recommended to me through Mike. Yep. Uh, one of the things that he says in regard to adaptability was that you never step into the same river twice. It's either the water changes or you as a new man change with the times. We live in a dynamic world and how we move in that world, whether that's in a physical therapy standpoint or like you said, entrepreneurship or financials, like we live in a very dynamic world and sharing that thought process and the way in which your mentors have impacted you and then watching it trickle down to now how it's trickled down in my life. I thought that was just a cool little string of related events that um, sort of transpired right there. So moving on, fast forward to today, like you have your process and you've learned from your mentors and everything like that. And you've learned this way of thinking that has gotten you to where you want to be. What do you do today that is worth sharing with the world? I think the big thing I'm trying to do is really pay back what my mentors have done for me. I think my mentors have done, have gifted me so much by helping me find a process that works individually for me. They've guided me along that way. So really, whether it's me working with a patient or we, me working with a, you know, a clinical student we have or one of our high school interns or just anyone who I can you know, help in any way, it's helping them find a process that works for them to get them where they need to go. So when working with somebody else, I think you need to just be able to remain agnostic and uncommitted to uh, things that and beliefs you have and things that have worked for you. I think you uh, need to be able to step outside and look through another person's lens to be able to really uh, find the, like we talked about before, the rate limiting step or the, the biggest impact that you can have on that person. Um, I think something else we need to be able to acknowledge is that we have this inherent uncertainty. And if we're living on the spectrum between you know, completely wrong or completely right, I think we're missing a lot of, uh, a lot of wiggle room and a lot of ways that we can, we can make change. So understanding that being comfortable being uncertain, being comfortable with the unknowns, I think can help you create something, help you find something to help someone else that um, could be more powerful than you would think. And can you go a little bit deeper into that? Because, I mean, being self-aware, right, is one thing. But being able to help someone else do that, um, I mean, I, I'm still learning how to do that from a medical standpoint. But could you explain your thought process through that just maybe a little bit more? I think it starts with understanding yourself and really going through that, that battle personally. First of all, and foremost, identify what you don't know. Identify what you can't control. And then also try to break things down to its simplest elements um, so that you can get as close as possible to uh, what is objective. There's a, a saying, and I'm going to butcher this, but it's um, there's two ways you see something. It's you can you have the uh, observing eye and then the perceiving eye. So oftentimes the way that something is observed and the way it's perceived can be completely mismatched because as we process things through our memories, through our experiences, through our doubts, anxieties, um, we start putting our own filter on it. So I think what we can try to work to do and what really a goal of mine is, is to be aware of where those biases are and what those filters and what those narratives I'm telling myself are to try to get observations as close as possible to what is objective. And fully knowing that as a human being, that's it, it's an impossible task. Like we're, we're destined to fail there, but I, I certainly think that we can, you know, evolve and we can get closer and closer to, you know, what what is actually happening. I think if we can do that for ourselves, then we can 
listen to somebody and kind of identify what are those narratives they're telling themselves? Um, what are those things that, you know, may be right in front of their face that they're missing because um, they're telling themselves a story or they have some sort of preconceived notion that, that might be just kind of lingering and, and holding them back. So for me personally, I think it's, it's going through that journey for yourself and then oftentimes having someone to hold you accountable because your ego is going to get in the way, your own biases are going to get in the way and, and having sounding boards and having people to help you out can be extremely helpful. I just, I think about that all the times as, as a therapist and like anytime I've tried to help myself or even write my own exercise programming, um, you're getting, you're getting in your own way. Like the saying is, you know, he who is their own coach has an idiot for a coach. So, and you kind of described how this whole perspective sort of builds on itself and how you can help people, but you did place an emphasis on self-reflection and how it starts with you, right? Can you go into your day and talk to us about how you live that method of objectivity and improvement and self-awareness in your daily life? Certainly. So I'm going to go through um, kind of what my routine and what my process I've set for myself is. Um, this has been kind of a work in progress. It's something where I have some you know, cornerstone things that I do every single day. And there's other things that I kind of add in and, you know, substitute out when I don't find them helpful. So I think a big thing is I love learning about other people's processes because it's cool to, to try new things. But and I think what I've seen is I've, I've tried a bunch of stuff, a bunch of stuff hasn't worked and you kind of chisel it away to find um, what seems to be helpful. So currently my process is, is I get up and the first thing I'm I'm looking to do is is once I'm you know awake enough to, to not fall asleep mid meditation is sit down for a ten minute meditation. Sometimes it's guided, sometimes unguided, depending on where my brain is and what I need at that time. Um, and really, the the key is just to kind of check in with yourself, check in how you're feeling that day, and um, like I said, trying to figure out what that perceiving eye is telling you versus what is objective at that at that time. Um, after that, I currently I was gifted a the book, The Daily Stoic by uh, Josh Monk, our, our owner at Rehab Reform. And that has been an absolute game changer for me. I find that it's uh, it's by Ryan Holiday. It's, it's just a daily little blurb. And then it goes into uh, from whether it be um, Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus, um, who kind of sets a sets a intention for the day or sets something to think about. Um, that's trying to stoic philosophy and then holiday gives a little brief like kind of modern day interpretation or something to center you around that and i've just found that super helpful from from framing the day and just building kind of these thoughts and processes that i found myself reflecting on later in the day or later in the week and they kind of build on each other so i'll read that and then i will um i've had a journaling practice that i've been at times more consistent with and less consistent with since around 2013 um and I used to always put it in my uh, Evernote. I'm kind of a religious Evernote user for organizations. But I found that uh, actually handwriting, at least my brain dump, has been much more helpful. Putting, putting pen to paper, even though my handwriting's crap and I can barely read it, um, has been really helpful for just getting me off a screen and getting me thinking a little bit more fluently. Um, some days I'll reflect on the Daily Stoic post. Other days I will reflect on just something on my mind or talk about something's happening. Some days I just start writing gibberish and then something comes out that I didn't even expect. So I think just the act of sitting down, putting pen to paper, 
has been pretty therapeutic and centering for me. Um, after that, I'll go through like a daily gratitude. So I'll, I'll pick three things that day that I'm that I'm grateful for, just kind of set my mind and um, set a perspective towards gratitude. Um, I think I'm someone who is a little bit prone to pessimism and looking at things and, you know, being self-critical and wanting things to be better. So I think being intentional about setting that path has been really helpful for me. Um, I'll go through a, you know, and then I'll reflect on the previous day, you know, what went well that day, what could have been better that day, and what was just something that, like, was a really bright spot for, for me that day. Another thing, too, is I'll put down uh, I'll put down a song that's been stuck in my head or something that's just been impactful for me that week. Just I think it's cool to look back at a random year and kind of find some songs that were speaking to you. I think it just sparks some memories. Um, after that, I'll dump some, like, pictures from that last week in there just so there's something to look back at. And then I will, uh, I've been lately dumping a front page of a newspaper into that day just for, you know, making memory of that and coming back, especially during these crazy, crazy times of COVID right now, being able to document some of the stuff in, in my own way and, and see it. So it reminds me where I was at that moment. So let me get this straight. You have seven years worth of backlog notes, essentially, like not maybe every single day, but most days. And have you have you looked back at that stuff at all? Yeah, I'll, I'll oftentimes like just pick that day of, of like a random year. So I'll be like, all right, today in 2014, where was I? What was I doing? That's amazing. And it's cool. It's like, you know, some like sometimes it's like cringeworthy. You know, you look <laughs> like high school uh, mixtapes. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> but it's kind of cool to see the development and growth. And sometimes you're like, wow, like, you know, that was a good thought I had back then. I need to kind of refine that perspective and that, that light I had then so I think it's uh it's been something that's been really impactful for me and uh something I'm I'm really proud and of and definitely uh forward to keeping on where do you find the value in reflection manifest itself in action when you reflect I think you're training you're training your brain to to in a time where you find like I think the important is, is setting the intention setting kind of like a calm state because you you get yourself to the point where you can look at something and look at an emotion or look at something as it's happening and be able to control that notice that that point between stimulus and response because i think so many times like during our day we something happens and we just kind of knee-jerk respond to it and before you know it you're you know you're angry you're frustrated you're anxious and that cycle just starts to spin but i think if you can take the time to reflect and kind of learn from that thing you might be able to have just a moment between that stimulus and that response for we we can reroute and change path. I remember a conversation we had before and you brought up this point of being able to recognize patterns in your day and something about saying when you see something you you just see it as oh it's it's another one of those and kind of being able to have a reaction so that way you're not just providing a knee-jerk reaction, you have a plan in place when something relatively unexpected comes. Can you can you speak to that a little bit? Certainly. That was a uh, Ray Dalioism. What, what he spoke about in that book, what I found super helpful was just like, really as crazy as something seems in your life, as like novel as it seems, and as like, you know, doomsday or day or just, it's always looking and saying, you know, like, how, how did this already happen? Like, this is just kind of like another one of those. And what it does is it chunks it into a pattern it chunks into something that you know isn't insurmountable and that you can actually find um, a precedent for when 
it was you know it happened before and you know then that will give you that gives you some sort some sort of a playbook to start with no so you're not flying blind you can say you know people have dealt with this before how have they dealt with it what was successful what was not successful i think if you can start there rather than just kind of shooting blindly you're going to increase your probabilities of of staying on track and having success with with your outcomes those are words to live by right there because the more we're able to pick out these really, really good things, I think I, t- I was listening to Warren Buffett speak, and Warren Buffett doesn't look at headlines. I mean, he looks at secondary and tertiary things because that's where he can make the most money. And I think those are the things that people fail to look at. They, they, see, they see what's right in front of their eyes, and they just don't see down the road and how this can trickle on so this whole coronavirus thing in nine months we can probably expect the stock of diapers to go up you know like stuff like that like that's just a a second secondary thing that so many people may not think of but i think that you've always challenged me to, to think with the future in mind um so and we've talked about your daily process. We've you've walked us through your, your routines and the way in which you perceive life and how you reflect and the intentionality behind everything. I mean, keeping a journal and meditating every morning, that sounds like that sounds like a lot of work. And I mean, habits are one thing, but I'm sure there were days that you didn't want to do those things. What makes your process and your method worthwhile? I think when you break it down simply like to what I want to be able to do in life just very simply is like I want to be able to reduce more suffering than what I create Hmm. and I think that starts with myself I think if I'm you know prone to beating myself up and prone to you know not having the best mind state I'm not going to be great for that patient who really needs me and who is vulnerable and needs to me to be vulnerable back to connect. So I think taking that time to kind of get my own stuff in order during that first hour of my day can hopefully help me be someone who's, you know, better for my fiance, better for my family, better for my patients and ultimately better for, you know, my community. I think that's kind of a, what I feel is like a personal responsibility um, to try to set that up, to give myself the best probability of being the person I want to be that day. That is a strong stoic response right there, Ant. Because <laughs> Aurelius would be so proud right now. Set, you, you envision it, you set it in front of you, and that is what you're going to do for the day. That's, that's textbook. Um, so I want you to put a bookmark in this moment in time right now and then go back way to when you were dribbling with your right hand in your grandma's garage I want you to think about that little kid that is just trying to best himself and to be good at what he wants to do and perform the best. Would he be proud of the way that you're living your life today? I mean, he'd be worried that you know I'm 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 getting close to thirty years old and I haven't been in the uh, I haven't been in the World Cup and I missed my window <laughs> for North Madison. Man. He'd, he'd be pretty upset. Thinking back to you know how my squirrel brain worked at that age and like you know what you value at when you're you know six seven eight you know 10 12 13 years old like versus what i value now i think 
you know, if you put it into context of, of what I'm doing and, you know, and, and who I am and the person I'm trying to become, I would hope so. But I, I don't know if that, that kid would have the perspective to, to appreciate it. The desires that we have as kids are just some of the most pure. And since I've started this podcast, I can see how what people wanted to be when they were little versus what they are doing right now while they're still in process. Like their journeys aren't done. Like the people that I'm talking to today, their journeys are not done. You're not done. I know that. Um, But it's cool to see at its very base, the same principle remains in their daily life today. And it just sounded like you were the type of kid that worked hard. Like you said yourself, like, and I don't really necessarily believe this, but you said you were about an average athlete, but you were the hardest worker. And that shows though, that shows in the way you live your life today. You're methodical as any successful athlete. Your, your thought process is one of the ones that has impacted me. So I just want to commend you. You've always been a hard worker and you've done so much in the last what 15 20 years to get to where you are now and that hard work still remains and that meticulous attention to detail has only amplified what you're doing today and i just thought i'd share that with you for sure i appreciate that man i I think like you know for like looking back to when i was a kid like that passion and that drive for you know what created optimal performance like in thinking about that for myself like i remember there was a very distinct you know moment my you know towards the end of my, you know, my competitive soccer career that like, I was, I was fortunate to serve as like the team captain for, uh, and I remember shifting my thoughts less, less towards like, how did I play today? How am I going to play today? Being anxious about the game for my own performance and shifting towards like, Hey, where's, you know, where's Zach's head at today? Where's, you know, where's, what's Sean thinking about before this game and, and how do we get him to perform better? So it was something where, my own worry about my performance shifted to how do we, you know, get other people going. And I think that's really what sparked my interest and took me towards coaching. Um, I think, you know, it took me towards thinking, how do we, you know, how do we create any sort of advantage and create any sort of progression to, to get someone to be their best once they step on the field to perform. Um, and I think you know, that drive and looking at through the lens of, of sport and then transferring that to just, things that are in front of my face currently and, you know, things that my patients are facing. How do we get someone closer to what their optimal version of performance is and really nerding out over, you know, all the details and all the ways that we can get somebody there. I think that's what really, what really drives me. And I think at the, at the end of the day, it's really what drove that kid in the garage. From the garage to the clinic. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to look at that process and what is one word that would best describe it? So, Kaipo, you and I first originally bonded over food. I'm, I'm trying to challenge myself with getting better at cooking and, you know, having the, some of the, the Italian background. You know, I think it's just my blood to be cooking a little bit. So uh, the word I'm going to choose for you is, as crazy as it sounds, is soup. Okay. And the reason why is, like, looking back, I had tried to find, you know, what are these secret ingredients? What are these, like, you know, novel things that we can add to a recipe to to make something special, to make something unique. And I think as I look at, you know, as I'm learning more towards cooking and, and we were making soup a couple of weeks ago and it was just like, man, you take these like four simple ingredients out of the base of like any sort of soup and it makes this just amazing base that then you can add some stuff on top of. Mm. So really the, the magic is not in, you know, those unique ingredients or like the crazy thing you can put on a pizza or something like that. It's, it's in the, 
simple details. It's in the simple fundamentals. And I used to get kind of bored by that. I used to kind of like, you know, want to you know, know what was the crazy thing you could do. And I used to always like, when I was a kid, push my dad to like, oh, why don't we try this on a pizza? Why don't we try this on a pizza? And he just kind of like shook his head and just brushed me off. <laughs> but it's because like, they've been doing the same thing since 1959. You know what I mean? It's like using the same, just good ingredients. And, and I have so much respect for that now and so much respect for just doing the really simple things well. And I think probably a better word than soup is synergy. It's something where you take these really simple fundamentals and it creates something way bigger than the sum of its parts. That was method maker Anthony Anarino on how to practice stoic wisdom to be more effective in what you do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Method Makers podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, don't forget to share and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite streaming service. That's all for now. But as always, we challenge you to find, live, and share your method today. See you next time.